This message was recorded live at the Ark Church in Conroe, Texas. Every year in February, we usually do a relationship series. It's Valentine's Day and you know, February 14th, so we do relationship. We're going to change that up a bit, and we're going to do a new series uh, starting this morning called Inside Out. And I want to talk about things that obviously impact our relationships, but actually they impact every area of our lives. And that's not just what's going on out here with our relationship, it's what's going on in here, in our hearts and in our minds. It's not where you live in your home or your apartment. That's not where we live. We live in here, in our thoughts and, and in our minds. Uh, at the end of, I'm, I'm, I'm going to try to talk Joy and to, to come and join me in this, this series and having her speak. And uh, we're going to also try to do a panel where we can answer some of your questions. So we'll have fun with this. As we talk about inside out, it's the inside things that matter most. Oftentimes we find that people, we love to control things. I know I'm not talking to any control freaks in the room, I'm just talking to me. But we, we like to control things. We, we want to control the environment. It was very helpful for me when I finally realized as a pastor I was not going to be able to control everything that went on. And I had to relax with that. You can't always control your environment. There's too many variables involved. And I often found out, too, that I wanted to be able to control people. Now, I know none of you ever have done that. I, this, is, this is me I'm talking about. You want to be able to control people and control, maybe it's your kids, or control the circumstances or things that people are in. And so you, you want to control things. I, have, you, have you figured out that you, you, you can't really control people? It, uh, I, I hope so. That's it's a difficult one. As a, a police officer pulled over a lady for speeding, regular-looking lady, regular-looking car, he uh, came to the window. She said, is there a problem, officer? He said, ma'am, you were speeding. He said, do you, um, can, can I see your driver's license? She said, oh, I'd give you one if I had one, but I don't have one. And he said, you don't? He, she said, no, after that third DUI, I, I, don't, have a, I don't have a license anymore. He said, well, can I see the registration, please, on this vehicle? She said, well, I'd give you that too, but this is not my vehicle. I stole it. <laughs> and he said, you stole it? She said, she said, yeah, I stole it. She said, I actually killed the owner of the car, and I stuffed him in the trunk, and I, I stole this vehicle. By this time, this guy's backing up with his hand on his gun. He calls in for backup, and within minutes, five patrol cars come to the scene. And the senior officer steps out. He approaches the window. He said, ma'am, would you please step out of the car? And she steps out of the car, just real cheerful. He said, ma'am, one of my officers told me that you stole this car and murdered the owner, and the owner is in the trunk. Would you open the trunk, please? He said, sure. And she opened up, and there was nothing in the trunk. He said, uh, ma'am, is, is this your, is your vehicle? The officer said, you stole it. She said, oh, no, it's mine. Here's my registration. She hands him the registration. He's getting more puzzled. He said, ma'am, my officer said that you didn't even have a driver's license. She said, oh, no, I've got one right here. Here it is. And, he, and hands it to him. And he, he's really puzzled. He said, ma'am, you, you, you got to forgive me here, but I'm real confused. But my officer told me that you didn't have a license, you stole the car, you killed the owner, and you put him in the trunk. She smiled, and she stepped up next to that officer and said, I bet that old liar told you I was speeding, too. <laughs> so so here's, here's the deal, guys. You can't control people, but you can sure enough mess with them. So I think the only thing that we, we can really control in our lives is us. And the only thing we can really control is us and our responses 
toward other people, our responses toward life, our approach toward life. That's the only thing we can control. And if you're going to learn to control your life, you're going to have to actually control your thoughts. See, if you don't control your thoughts, your thoughts will control you. And they can limit you or liberate you. And you, you think, well, Alan, this is church, and we don't talk about thoughts in church. No, the Bible actually does say a lot of things about our thoughts. Because remember, guys, we don't just live in our houses. We live in here. And in our hearts and minds, what's going on? But thank God, you know, God does not leave us helpless. He helps us here. In Romans, the 12th chapter, verse 2, he says this, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. He said, don't, one translation, the one I often read, said don't be conformed or molded into this world. Now, it's talking about a world that does not, a world system that does not acknowledge God. And it says, don't, don't, don't be conformed or pressured into that. In other words, we can be molded. He said, but we're transformed. That's the same word we get metamorphosis from, like a butterfly. It's the same word. And it says, we're transformed by the renewing of our mind. Again, that word renewing means to renovate. You know, when Joy and I re renovated our house last year, we, we took out old stuff and replaced it with something new and better. I mean, I kept waiting for Formica to come back in style, but it, 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 it never did. So we had to pull it out and put something new in. The idea, though, is in, in our thoughts and in our, our attitudes and ways, we've got to find what is God saying about this and replace some of those old thoughts. Now, I'll give you a, a, a classic example. My family, I grew up in a good home. Father, who's now in heaven. Mother, who's a Christian. Both Christians have one sister. But my family was subject to bad moods. I mean, if you walked in my house and my sister would go, watch it, dad's in a bad mood. Like, oh, or watch it, mom's in a bad mood. Joy had been around my house one time when she said it, it seemed like the whole mood of the house just shifted and went bad. I grew up in this. And so I thought, hey, something bad happens. I'm in a bad mood. It's like, it's just the way I am, bad mood. So guess where I became? I'm moody. I grew up very moody. And my friends would say, oh, man, Alan is moody. He's a, he's a moody guy. And so the problem is, is that when I got saved, had a relationship with the Lord, I began to find out that God doesn't make allowances for bad moods. God doesn't say, hey, those of you who are in a bad mood, it's okay. Just go ahead and stay in a bad mood. I began to realize that I did not have to yield to my moods. If something would come at me instead of being negative or making everybody else pay for it, I've learned that I could walk in love, I could walk by faith and not by sight, that God's word gives light onto a situation, and I did not have to respond in a bad mood. Joy would come and be when we were first married, and she would look at me, she would go, I don't know what your problem is, but you need to take a nice pill. She said, because <laughs> you are a big bad bear around the house. And it's not good when the kids come into the house and they're like, is dad in a bad mood? That's not a good thing. And so what happened is I had to learn to renew my mind, to change the way I thought about that. So I can tell you now, no one walks around our offices and comes up to Wilma, who's my admin assistant, go, what kind of mood is he in today? I've got to get something approved for the budget. Is he in a good mood or a bad mood? Now, if you know people like that, 
Just smile, just look straight ahead and go, praise God, amen. They, some people really need to be hearing that. If it's you, smile bigger and go, yes, this is me. But you don't have to, to yield to bad moods. And so I, I, I found out this. I found out life is a lot better when you're not up and down and up and down. Life is a lot better when you're consistent. The Bible talks about the, the, the thoughts and the things that can often torment us or, or they can be a blessing to us. And the story is found in, in the Old Testament, in the book of uh, Daniel. Daniel was one of these outstanding people in the Bible. He just had a great spirit. The Bible said he had an excellent spirit about him. He was a captive. His country had been overrun by the Babylonians. He's living in the Babylonian Empire, but he's working for a king by the name of Darius. Darius, the most powerful nation in the world at that time, Darius had like 120 uh, what they called them governors, who were over his whole province. And then there were three guys over them. There were satraps and governors, three guys. Daniel was one of the three. So Daniel had a lot of responsibility. Darius liked Daniel so much. He was faithful. He was honest. He had an excellent spirit. And if you're in politics, you realize how rare that is to find. And so he wanted to make Daniel the head guy. Well, the other people didn't like that. And so they came to, to Darius. They said, Darius, they, they worked a scheme. They worked a deal. They said, Darius, we got this idea that for the next 30 days, nobody can ask any God or any man anything except you, Darius. You're the man. You're the one we got, we're going to come to. You're awesome, dude. And so for 30 days, nobody can ask anybody else anything. And if they do, they get tossed into the den of lions. And Darius must have appealed to his ego. He thought, great idea. Let's do this. So he signs it. And as soon as Daniel heard that it was signed, Daniel went up to his room. He opened his windows toward Jerusalem like he did three times a day and kneeled down and talked to his God. You see, for Daniel, God was bigger than King Darius. And God was bigger than that Babylonian system he was living in. But they caught him. They arrested him. And they came to Darius. They answered and said before the king, that Daniel, who is one of the captives from Judah, does not show due regard for you, O king, or for the decree that you've signed, but makes his petition three times a day. And the king, when he heard these words, was greatly displeased with himself and set his heart on Daniel to deliver him. And he labored till the going down of the sun to deliver him. Then the men approached the king and said to the king, No, O king, that this is the law of the Medes and Persians, that no decree or statute which the king establishes may be changed. So the king gave the command, and they brought Daniel and cast him into the den of lions. But the king spoke, saying to Daniel, Your God, whom you serve continually, he will deliver you. Then a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the signets of his lords, that the purpose concerning Daniel might not be changed. Now the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. and No musicians were brought before him, and also his sleep went from him. This is an interesting passage. When they came to Darius and they said, Darius, you made this law and Daniel's guilty. And the Bible said that, that Darius was greatly displeased with himself, upset with himself. Ever, ever been tricked? Ever been coerced into doing something and then it goes bad and you're like, ah. So now he felt bad. And he was, man, he was upset. He tried to figure out a way he could, get, he could free Daniel up. But, but the actual translation says a mob of these leaders came back in and said, no, Darius, you can't do that. You can't change this law. And so Darius is thinking the very worst is going to happen. 
So Daniel was put into a den. Darius says the right things to him. He said, your God, who you serve continually, Daniel, he will deliver you. Now, he said the right thing. He didn't believe the right thing. Because when he went back, he's living in a palace. Guys, they say the Babylonian palaces were beautiful. Might have been the most spectacular home on the planet at that time. Darius is living in this palace. He's got servants. All he has to do is snap his fingers and there's food. He's got musicians that play. He didn't have an iPod, so he had musicians that would come in and play. And he's trying to go to sleep and he didn't want musicians and he doesn't want food. And, and the scripture said his sleep went from him. He could not sleep. Living in a palace, but he really he's living in here. And he's in agony because he's about to lose his top man, and he's, he's thinking the very worst possible thing is happening to Daniel. But Daniel's being mauled by these lions, and these thoughts have got to be going through his mind, got to be looping, and it's your fault, and you signed that thing, and you did that, Darius. He's thinking these things. It's a hard night. But there were two different realities here. Let's see the rest of the story. Then the king arose very early in the morning and went in haste to the den of lions. And when he came to the den, he cried out with a lamenting, that's a grieving voice, to Daniel. The king spoke, said to Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God who you serve continually been able to deliver you from the lions? Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths so they have not hurt me because I was found innocent before him. And also, O king, I've done no wrong before you. Now the king was exceedingly glad for him and commanded that they should take Daniel up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no injury whatever was found on him because he believed in his God. A good story. But don't you, don't you love that? Two realities. Darius, had, he didn't know God. He had no relationship with God. He had all these foreign gods. He had no relationship with the living God. And Darius had no relationship with God and he was troubled. Daniel had a relationship with God, and he was protected. And Daniel said something. I, how Daniel handled this to me was amazing. I mean, here he is, spent the night with these lions, and the king comes and goes, Daniel, are you alive? And Daniel answers him so graciously. Oh, king, live forever. You know, if that had been me, I might have gone, I can't believe you threw me in here. It is stinking lions in here, and I didn't do anything. But he was gracious to someone who made a mistake. And then you hear what Daniel said. He said, he said, I didn't do wrong before God and I didn't do wrong before you. There's such great confidence when we have a clear conscience. And Daniel just, he said, I'm done. <laughs> In the story, Darius, all those guys that made him sign that deal, he tossed them and their wives and their children into the lion's den and the lions ate them. And they all lived happily ever after. So that's the <laughs> idea. Is, but can you, you can see the one man is in peace, one man is tormented. How, how do we control our thoughts, guys? How do we control our thoughts? I'll give you two areas that are, are challenging for us. Is when someone does something against you, to you, or when you do something yourself. When someone does something to you, and boy, we can run the gamut on that, can't we? Everything from telling a secret that you, you didn't want told, lying, gossiping, stealing, cheating, abusing, it can get worse. Someone does something to you. 
And then another tough one is when you make a mistake yourself. Especially people that tend to be hard on themselves. They make a mistake. That's a tough one. And I can, I can look, Darius was greatly displeased with himself. Now you guys love it when I tell you my mistakes. So here's one. At Christmas time, we did, we did two uh, sets of services, Sunday and Tuesday. On Sunday, there was a musical element in that service that should not have been. And there were songs played that should not have been played, secular songs that had no business being played in a church. That's my fault. That's on me. And I can only ask that you would forgive me. That night when I went home, I was greatly displeased with myself. Joe and I talked about it. And I'm very grateful that we have a good team that on Monday they were able to turn that around so the people that came on Tuesday did not see that element. But I can promise you, I was harder on myself than anyone else. So what do you do when you mess up? How do you handle that? Well, first you ask the Lord to forgive you. That's where you start. Then you ask others and hope that they are gracious. Say, Alan, what, what do people won't forgive me? You can't do anything about that. You can only ask. But the third thing that you can do is you can forgive yourself and move on. See, the challenge is sometimes we make mistakes, but if we don't forgive our, get God's forgiveness, get others' forgiveness and move on, sometimes we live with that mistake for year after year after year. And it doesn't have to be that way. You see, the path out is always forgiveness. Jesus, when he instructed us on how to pray, he said this in Matthew, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. We're forgiving, God forgive us. So forgiveness is the path out. Second thing is, if we're going to control our thoughts, we're going to have to fight back against worry. Worry is not a blessing in your life. It might be a habit in your life, but it's not a blessing. And the scriptures address it directly. Paul is talking here to the Philippian church. He says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he's done. Then you'll experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Worrying is simply going over and over again, like King Darius, over and over again. And I don't know about you, I have actually worried about things that never came to pass. I worried about it and had all these thoughts and then the whole thing turned around. And I thought, why did I spend all that time worrying? So what do we do? We have a relationship with God. He's encouraged us, talk to him about it. Ask him for his help and begin the practice of taking it to God in prayer instead of worrying about it over and over and over again. Now, if you are a chronic serial worrier and you've done this for a long time, then, then it's going to take some practice for you to begin to move out of that. But you can. So my suggestion is don't wait on the big one. Start with the small ones and learn to take these things to God. Here's the second thing. If we're going to deal with we have to fight back against worry, we have to fight back against negative thoughts. Thoughts can come, and Paul continues that with this passage right here. He says, now, dear brothers and sisters, this is verse 8. We just read 6 and 7. Now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about the things that are excellent and worthy of praise. If you just took that grid right there and laid them over your thoughts, 
it's going to cause us to begin to eliminate some thoughts that aren't right. And so we begin to think thoughts that aren't so negative. This, uh, earlier this month, I woke up in the middle of the night. I, I shared this with our Wednesday night group, so, uh, but I, I think it'll help you. I woke up, on, uh, woke up in the middle of the night with a problem. Not Joy. She's not the problem. I, I, woke, I woke up in the middle and I, ha I had a problem going through my mind. So I, it's, you know, it's like 3 o'clock in the morning. I don't know about you, but I'd rather not be up at 3 o'clock in the morning. I'd rather be sleeping. And so I'm trying to go back to sleep, and those thoughts are just going over and over and over again in my mind. Anyone ever deal with that? Don't raise your hands. Just look straight ahead. Just, I, I call it looping just over and over and over again. Try to change the thoughts. You say, well, how do you change the thoughts? How do I change the thought challenge? This is a situation and I'm dealing with it and it's negative and it's bad. God didn't leave us helpless. He gave us something we can use. One of those is uh, uh, the scriptures. You've been hearing me encourage you to pray the Lord's Prayer and the 23rd Psalm. So I thought I'd just practice my own preaching. And so I just lay there. Joy was sleeping. That girl can sleep through anything. So it is, I'm just, I, I just begin to speak out loud. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leaves me beside still waters. He restores my soul. And I just begin to say the, the, the Lord's Prayer. I mean, excuse me, 23rd Psalm. And I said it, and then I said it again, and then I said it again, and then I said it again, and I said it again, and then I drifted off to sleep. You say, well, Alan, you shouldn't have to say things over and over again. Listen, guys, if we can take a negative thought and go over and over and over on a negative thought, why can't we take God's thoughts and go over and over and over on them and they bring life and peace? And so I was able to drift back to sleep. Parenting tip. Here's my parenting tip. These are tips that we, Joy and I wish we'd done more of or things we actually did right. Here's what I wish we'd done more of. When your children talk to you about problems that they're having and they tell you about thoughts and things that they're dealing with, don't overreact. Don't go, don't think that. Don't jump down their throat. Let them share and then help them think on right things. When they come to you and say things like, I just, my life is worthless and nobody cares about me and if, if I died, no one would even care. Don't, don't freak. Listen to them and then help them think some of God's thoughts. You know, God loves you. You know, he, he loves you so much that he gave Jesus for you. He loves you so much. He's got a plan for your life. You can help them begin to change their, think, their thinking. Don't overreact. Listen to them and help them begin to think the, the right way. Sometimes as parents, we're so afraid. But if we're so afraid, our kids won't come to us. They need to be able to come and go, man, I'm having some dark thoughts. And then you can help them out. Last thing is this. Is we have to, if we're going to control and, and, and change the way we think and deal with the way we think. We really have to make a decision that we're going to believe God and his promises. See, Darius, uh, Daniel, Daniel believed God and he was protected from dangerous lions. Darius did not believe God and he was unprotected from dangerous thoughts. We can think the right thoughts. We can think about how much God loves us and he cares about us, how we're new creations in Christ. We have so many different things we can think about. The Bible is full of not just God's words, but they contain God's thoughts.
One of my stories that I read, I, I, I found it about seven or eight years ago. I might share it every year because I think it's such a powerful story. It's a true story of a lady named Muriel. I think they changed her name just to protect her. She had a, a, a childhood that crippled her emotionally. By the time she was a teenager, she had checked in and out of hospital psychiatric wards. In her mid-40s, she'd had literally dozens of therapists, counselors, and psychologists, and psychiatrists. And at, at, in their mid-40s, she'd experienced over 61 electric shock therapies, and none of it was helping her. She went to see another therapist. She had low expectations. She was pretty cynical. And when she walked in, told her story, the therapist said something to Muriel that she'd never thought before. The therapist said, Muriel, how could your life have been different if someone had come alongside you at 14 years old and pointed out your strengths instead of pointing out how sick you were? She said, when she began to think that, she said, it's just like an epiphany. And she thought, in her, she thought to herself, she said, I'm not stuck in my life going just the way it is. It can change. I can think otherwise about myself. She said, I made a decision then and there. I wasn't just going to think otherwise. I was going to live otherwise. All of us have thoughts. All of us have things that through our past, through our relationships, through our parenting, through just the things that have accumulated in our lives, and they form thoughts about who we are and how we handle things, how we deal with things. But what if, what if someone came to you and you, you, walked, you walked into your kitchen to give a cup of coffee, and there's an angel standing there, big one. And after you get over yourself, the angel says, you know, I just wanted to tell you that you're a lot more powerful than you think. That you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. And that you're a lot more blessed than you think. Because Jesus redeemed you from the curse of the law. And the blessings of Abraham are on your life. You're a lot sharper than you think because you have the mind of Christ. You're a lot more attractive than you think because you're accepted in the beloved. And God loves you. And he's got a wonderful plan. If an angel said that to you and this all of a sudden and then disappeared. You wouldn't, you wouldn't go, well, whatever, let me get some coffee. <laughs> you, you'd probably go wake up your whole family. Go, go sit down, sit down, let me tell you something. There's this angel that came in and he told me that I was more powerful than I thought and I was more blessed than I thought and that I was forgiven and that I was redeemed and I was all these things. And your family might look at you like you were crazy, but you know you were not crazy because that angel was bringing to you a word of God. Well, I'm not an angel, but I'm still a messenger and I'm telling you, you're more powerful than you think. You're stronger than you think. You're sharper than you think. And God loves you. What if you begin to think along these lines? it changed things. You can live otherwise. You can live God-wise. And that can make a difference. Will you bow your head with me for a moment? Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. I'm going to ask, please, no one leave or move. We'll be out of here in just a moment. We're right on time. But if you're here today and say, Alan, I don't have a relationship with the Lord that I know of or I'm not sure, but I want to have a relationship with him. Or you're here today and you say, 
you know what, I, I used to walk with, the, with God and I got so far away from him. But I want that to change. Maybe you're not sure where you stand with the Lord this morning, but you want to be. Maybe you know in your heart you need to come back. We're going to say a prayer. We're not going to have you stand up. We're not going to have you come to the front. But sitting in your chair, man, there's a powerful prayer. It's a prayer that begins to change everything. It changes you for eternity. We're going to pray that together. But I am going to ask you to do one thing. If that's you that I'm talking to, you say, Alan, I want to be sure that I'm, that I'm right with God. Alan, I want to get right again. Would you pray for me? Sitting right there in your chair, if that's you, would you just slip your hand up and say, Alan, that's me. Would you pray for me? Thank you. Thank you. Great. Anybody else? Hey, thank you. Good. Appreciate that. Thank you. Anyone else? Wonderful. You can put your hands down. We're going to pray. If you didn't lift your hand and wanted to, listen, you did not miss your opportunity. We're going to pray this prayer together. Church family is going to pray it with you. We're all going to pray it out loud. You pray it so you can hear yourself pray it. I'll lead you in it. Dear God, I know mankind needs a Savior. I know I can't save myself. Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. And God raised you from the dead. Right now, I confess you as my Lord, as my Savior, as the one who forgives me and restores me. Thank you, Jesus. My past is forgiven. I have a relationship with you. I'm a new creation in Christ because I've said yes to you. Now, head still bowed and eyes closed. Heavenly Father, thank you for those that prayed that prayer. For those who have come home and those who have come back, and we rejoice with them today at the changes that have taken place in them continue to take place through them. And Father, for the rest of us, help us to think in line with the awesome privilege and potential that's ours because we belong to you. We thank you for that. You've been gracious to us, merciful to us. Help us forgive ourselves and those around us and walk closer with you and be a blessing. We'll give you all the praise for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this message. For more about The Ark, visit thearkchurch.com.